So Nicholas asked me to do a reading this morning uh, on Tuesday. It's about a man I'd never heard of before, so I had to look him up and see what he was all about. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about him before I do the reading. Um, this reading is going to be from a man named Meister Eckhart. Meister Eckhart was a Dominican monk born in 1260 AD. He became one of the timeless heroes of modern spirituality, which thrives on an all-inclusive syncretism, which was, of course, a word I needed to look up. <laughs> so I'm going to give you a definition for that. Syncretism is the combining of different beliefs while blending practices and various schools of thought. Syncretism involves the merging or assimilation of several originally discrete traditions, especially in the theology and mythology of religion, thus asserting an underlying unity and allowing for an inclusive approach to other faiths. Syncretism also occurs commonly in expression of arts and cultures known as eclecticism. That reminds me of our move and how eclectic our home is. <laughs> But all that being said, let me read you this reading from Meister Eckhart. On unremitting effort in the highest progress. A man should never regard a task so easily and as so well done that he becomes too free in his actions or so confident to let his reason become idle and go to sleep. He should always lift himself up with the twin powers of reason and will, seizing his highest good therein at their peak, and wisely guarding himself against all harm, both outwardly and inwardly. In this way, he will never fail in anything, but will continue to make great progress. Thank you. Reason and will. It does sound a bit exhausting, I'm afraid to say. But syncretism, I mean, that really does sum us up, doesn't it? I think we'll now become the chapel of syncretism. People say, what are you about the Asperger? Well, we're about syncretism, actually. <laughs> Good. Um, now, this is the... I'm going to move this because uh, it's um, better with the camera. This is the second um, that we're going to uh, do in a series that I'm doing on the nature of being. Uh, the nature of being. The last uh, was a couple of weeks ago... Um, and then last week we had the Maypole, but the last one was a couple of weeks ago, and the next is going to be a couple of weeks' time. But I'm doing this series on the nature of being. Um, and I said a couple of weeks ago that although, from a spiritual perspective, we seem to like the idea of being, you know, we, want to, we want to be. That's, you know, spiritually, we just want to sort of be there now. I mean, that's the sort of general thought about it. The fact is that being, I said, does not always imply good. You know, being doesn't always imply good. Um, you know, people, as my son tells me, can be a pain. People can be pure evil. They can be a certain way. They can be anything. And the nature of being, I said, is really the essence of what you choose to operate out of yourself. You know, that's, that's the nature of your being. And there's an aspect of that that's uncalculated. Or rather, it is calculated, but the calculation has already been made and you operate out of that calculation. As you live your life, you grow up making decisions about the way that life is. And these decisions may or may not be correct, but they come to be your worldview that you're going to operate out of. And you settle on an idea, 
of what the world is like, and then you operate out of that decision. And that worldview might be the fact that everyone's, everyone's mean and the world is an awful place, or it might be that every, everything's great and rosy in the garden and all things are connected. Whatever it is, that is your particular worldview, and that affects your beingness. The decisions you default to when you think about things, which is why some people end up being a pain and various other things. You know, I was, uh, someone asked me the other day, uh, how do you come up with these, these ideas? What do you actually speak about um, on a Sunday? And this particular one today, and uh, the topic for today is why bother? I mean, this, this particular one came up when I was running the low line in Snowmass Village. And I was pounding along like this. And I, I suddenly think, you know, why am I bothering to do this? It sort of hit me, you know, like an epiphany. Why am I bothering to run up this particular mountain? I mean, you know, I'm sure, you know, that it might make me fitter, you know. But the truth of the matter is I'd probably be enjoying life a lot more sitting in front of the television with a cup of tea. I mean, you know, and yet I was straining away going up this mountain. And then, of course, you know, once you've had an epiphany, like, why bother? It sort of goes further. You think, well, why do I bother do anything? You know, why do I, I bother trying to be good? You know, why do I bother trying to do the right thing? You know, what difference does it make? And would I not have a much better time if I just did what I fancied rather than trying to do the right thing? Because... To be good, or as I said the other week, to suspend my will, to allow the will of God to come through, because as Jesus says, no one is good but God alone. You know, you can't, you can't think yourself good or become good by doing things. You have to allow goodness to come through at the essence of your being. All seems like a lot of hard work. As my Strecker was saying, I mean, reason and will, you've really got to screw yourself up and sort of get into it. And, you know, is it me willing? Is it God? Can I just get on with life without having to worry about all this sort of stuff? And I realized that I had willingness fatigue. I had an ennui of willingness, a sort of tiredness about doing the right thing. It sort of came upon me as I went and watched um, Designated Survivor at home with a cup of tea and thoroughly enjoyed it. I thought this is a bit off, so I didn't mention it to a couple of people. They said, oh, yes, I think, I sometimes think, why bother? So I thought, well, maybe I ought to look at this. You know, why am I bothered doing any of this? Because, you know, let's face it, not to bother is a lot easier. Not to bother is a lot easier. You just have to get by with the least amount of resistance and the greatest amount of pleasure. You know, when I started to work it out, it's the least amount of resistance and the greatest amount of pressure. You know, there's always that alternative course to developing consciousness where you put yourself in a warm bath, you put some headphones on, you have a TV screen, not too close, but just there, so you can see, and you just lie there. You know, and the warmth of the bath, you just don't have to do anything. And I think we could all think of ways of making our lives a lot easier and a lot more pleasurable so the question I then ask myself is, why don't we do that? And, you know, I could come up with lots of spiritual reasons, but when I really looked at it, you know, I, I realized that the first reason that I, I, I did these things was out of habit. You know, I do things because I've always done them. 
I'm the sort of person that does go for a run. And I've always, since I, you know, when I realized I was no good at rugby and I had to go running at the age of 17, it's sad that, you know, I have run all my life. And if I stopped running, it would be a major thing. You know, it would be a, a huge change. I'd have to deal with that. So I run really out of habit. It's easier to keep running than it is to, to, to confront the consequences of stopping running. I've always meditated. You know, I've sort of always gone to church since I've been employed in church, but I've, I've sort of always gone to church. And if I stopped, you know, I've, always, I've sort of always tried to be a nice person and tried to be nice to people. And, and really to change that would be to fundamentally change who I am. I mean, Andy's always talking about taking a rigorous analysis of oneself. And I would, you know, these are all the things that I'd be like, and, you know, if I change them, who would I be? So there is a great deal of habit. And so I carry on being in the same sort of way that I've always done because that's who I am. It's less stressful than continually reassuring myself that I'm, you know, who I am by, by what I'm doing. I sort of float out of my current worldview. And that worldview, it warms me. It sort of carries me along and it brings like-minded people close to me who support what I do and who I am. And we support each other in that. Because that's another reason why I bother, is because I care what people think about me. That's another reason I bother. I want them to think well of me. I create a certain way of being and a certain image that fits with the one that I've calculated all the years. And, and that's the motivation for bothering. You know, we do care about what other people think about us. And that starts really on in life. And when you're a baby, you remember it, but when you're a baby, you could do no wrong. You know, you, everything you did was just perfect. Oh, bless him then. Yeah, anything you did, when you went to the loo, oh, bless him. Isn't that lovely? Isn't that great? You know, and you, you just wandered around, you know, Mr. or Mr. Perfection. And you did that for a while at the time. And then one day what happens is you pick up a crayon or something. You think, I know, everything I do is wonderful. All the pictures I've drawn are wonderful. I'm going to draw a picture for mum and dad. And so you go to the wall and you draw this wonderful picture all over the wall that you know mum and dad are going to totally love. And they come in and they look at it and go, what have you done? And you're absolutely stunned. Because at that moment you realise for the first time that you're not perfect. And you're challenged by the fact you're not perfect. And your, your, your mind then goes to the immediate question when you realize you're not perfect is, what must I do to be perfect? And of course, the answer to that is always do what other people will approve of. And so we start very early on doing what people will approve of. And that's a huge reason as to why it's a huge approval is a huge motivating factor for why we do what we do. And it also leads to the next idea of why I think we do the things that we do. Is we do it habit, we do it because we think people approve of them. We also do it, I think, a lot of the stuff out of a sense of duty. We have a sense of duty. We ought to do it. You know, we... I bother because I think I ought to do it. I run because I think I ought to run. 
I do this job because years ago I had a big experience and I think I ought to communicate it. You know, there's a huge sense of duty. I try to be charitable because it's what I think I ought to do. So much of my behavior is about doing what I think my duty is to do. And, and I find that, you know, a motivating factor. I asked a couple of weeks ago if, if uh, people are the same, if you're the same when people are not looking. You know, are you the same? How good are you? When no one's looking, you know, when can you get away with it? When you can, do you get away with it? When you can get away with it, when no one's looking. And if you don't, how much of that is motivated by a sense of duty? I find it quite a powerful factor. So I bother when I analyze it. Why bother? I bother because I've always done it. It's a habit. I bother because I care what other people think about what I do. I bother because I have a sense of duty and because it's what I think I ought to be doing. I mean, there's a huge motivating factor for me as to why I bother getting on with it. But to be honest, I think none of these really are it. They don't actually enable me to unfold in the way that I do unfold. You know, neither of these motivations are particularly edifying, I don't think. And when it comes down to it, I think the reason I bother is because there's something in life that demands that I bother. There's something out there in life that actually demands that I bother. Not the people out there, not my reasons, but something that's pulling my heart. Something that's drawing me to bother. And it's as if at some point in my life, and I do think you have to have that, at some point in my life, I open myself up to a greater will, to a greater spirit that is calling me to become involved in life. You know, Tia de Chardin, who Cynthia talks a lot about, talks about God being in creation. Tia de Chardin talks about God being in creation but from a perspective that transcends time, if you can get this. He talks about God being in in, in creation from a perspective that transforms time, of God at some point in the future drawing the whole universe into a greater consciousness through love. So God's actually at some point in the future and drawing through time the whole of universe, the universe into a greater consciousness through love. And that is the imperative to bother that I think I relate to, that I'm being somehow drawn in that way, that God's drawing us to what Tiada Shadan calls the Omega point. That's what he calls the, the bit where everybody is drawn into consciousness at some point in the future is actually where God is right now, and that is called the Omega point. That, that there is a love that arises in us that connects with the divine love. That's the way it works, that a love arises in us that connects with the divine love and that carries us through if we let it. It carries us through. And that in going with that love and responding to it, allowing it, we become part of an evolutionary unfolding that is leading towards this Omega point, this complete unity with God that is at some point in the future. But because God is there and because God is also here and he's drawing us towards it, it means that it's already happening. 
that it has already happened and that somehow that love is outside time. And that's what's called, that's eternal love. It's outside time. And that eternal love, outside time, drawing us into a future that's already happening, is the eternal love that Jesus speaks about, the eternal life. It is the ultimate motivating factor for why we bother. And we bother because we cannot help ourselves. We're given a part of ourselves, we've given a part of ourselves into the keeping of the divine. Somewhere in our lives, we've given a part of ourselves into the keeping of the divine. And that is drawing us onwards and giving us motivation, giving us the energy, giving us the oomph to overcome. It's, it's in us to run up that hill, to do what we do, to meditate, to care for others. Our role is to assent to that when it comes. Our role is to assent to it and to know that it will be okay in the end. To know that whatever's happening, if we allow, give ourselves up, it will be okay in the end. To take responsibility for our connection with creation and to play, up, to play our part in that creation. That's why we bother. We're drawn into that. It says in Romans 12, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your spirit. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing perfect will. That is the essence of why we bother because we give ourselves as living sacrifices and we engage in the process of creation with that divine love. And when we really give up to it, when we allow ourselves to give up to it, we find that actually it's no bother at all. It's effortless. You know, people say to me, when I left advertising, people say, oh, you must have been very brave to leave advertising and go into the church. And when I say I came here, people say, oh, you must have been very brave to come to Aspen, blah, blah, blah. No. When you give up, there's an effortlessness that looks like it's difficult, but actually it isn't. It's what's meant by being in the flow of life. It's what's meant by being in the flow of life. Sacrifice. Interesting what you think of when I say that word. Sacrifice literally means made holy. That's what it means. Sacri, holy, Facilely made, made holy. Sacrifice means made holy. And in, in allowing ourselves to be made holy, we effortlessly flow towards that omega point and we take creation with us. And that's why we do bother, because we let ourselves flow in that way. And the way that we do that, you know, there's always the thing where you come up with this highfalutin idea of what life's, what life's about. I mean, we know, but how do I do it? how you do that. And it's very simple. What we do, the way we do that is just to lean into the difficulty, to lean into the difficulty when you experience it, to lean into it. I'm sure my, if my skiing guru was here, Gary, he would tell me, you just lean into it, the curve. If, I, if you lean into that difficulty and know 
that that difficulty is the price that we're paying for our contribution to the transformation of the world, to our contribution to evolution. That difficulty we experience is our contribution. And we just have to lean into it. As I run up the hill, I feel the difficulty. And I know that I am called to bear that. And so I lean into it rather than resisting it. As Ward feels the difficulty of knocking on those doors. Where are you, Ward? There we are. Hello to Ward. As Ward feels the difficulty of knocking on all those doors, he leans into it and knows it's what he is being called to do. As we confront the idea of being good rather than anything else, we lean into it and take up the effort, knowing that this is what we're being called to do in our life. And it gives us meaning. It gives us our meaning. It's what we're here for. And to shirk it is to shirk the reason that we came into being in the first place. That's why you're here. You're here to lean into that difficulty, to give yourself into this, to be part of evolution. So next week's Mother's Day, and that's going to be a sort of separate thing, but the week after that, we're going to look at what does the renewing of your mind, do you remember that quote from uh, Romans here, by the renewing of your mind, what does that mean? You know, what does it mean to literally put on that renewing of your mind or to put on the mind of Christ, which is what we're talking about. In Christians, you talk about the mind of putting on the mind of Christ, you know, flowing with a towel, whatever it is, the different expressions. We're going to look at, at how we do that. So that's the end. I end these things. <laughs> that's it, finished. Let's pray. We're just going to say a few prayers now. Lord, we do think about the creation and evolution of the world, what Richard Raw calls deep time, that time that is beyond the day-to-day, behind the 24-hour news, behind the, even behind history, deep time. And Lord, we just ask that we may be able to participate in that deep time. We ask that more and more people may be able to open themselves to that deep time, our leaders all over the world that it may affect them and they may be able to move with that. We pray for all the trouble spots around the world, particularly thinking of Korea and Russia, Chechnya, areas where they're struggling. Think of areas near a home where they're struggling, cities and towns in difficulty, deprivation. Pray for all those who are suffering in some way at this time. Pray for our valley, those people here who are suffering and in difficulty and feeling fear. Pray for our leaders here that they may be compassionate and giving, and we may play our part. And we pray for those that we do think of every week. Importantly, pray for Patricia Hill and Barbara Orchid. Pray for Will Welsh. Pray for Valbrick Carbock, who's here with us this morning. Anne Hodges, Tracy Houston. Shelley Franklin, Sister Melanie, Galen Gatsky, Tom Jones, Linda Schneider, Katie Zanto, Jeff Schlepp, Lauren Ann Bauer, Jan Metz, Lainey Hers. Particularly pray for Gwen and the family of Dan Helper, who died this morning, family of Julia O'Rourke. 
family of Sarah Wolf, family of Bill Clark, and pray for Sharon Wells as well. Lord, we ask your blessing, healing power on all these people in Jesus' name. Amen.